Hey folks, the news just keeps coming, especially out of Washington. On Thursday, President Trump escalated his long-running campaign to discredit the integrity of absentee voting, falsely accusing election officials in Michigan and Nevada of breaking the law and threatening to withhold federal grants. Meanwhile, the Michael Flynn case continues to get more unusual by the day. Following Judge Emmett Sullivan's decision to appoint a friend of the court to argue against DOJ's motion to dismiss the case, a three-judge panel from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has ordered Judge Sullivan to explain himself. And on Wednesday, FBI Director Chris Wray announced the Bureau is opening an internal review into its handling of the Flynn investigation. I talk about all this and more with Ann Milgram on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the most recent episode. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email qualify for a special discount at cafe.com slash student. That's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Should we move on to um, a story that we thought would be long gone from the headlines? Yes. The continuing saga of former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. I don't know how much people appreciate who are non-lawyers, how utterly bonkers this case has become. Whatever side you're on, whatever you think. <laughs> That's the right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, whatever you think about his guilt or innocence or what the FBI did, just for lawyers who have practiced criminal law procedurally, the back and forth that's happened is just out of control, crazy bonkers. Yeah, it's unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it. So each thing that we examine, and other people have said this, each new twist and turn, you can say, well, that's crazy. How, how is that allowed to happen? No one's ever seen that before. It's in the context of the three prior things in the case also being crazy and unprecedented and you've never seen before. Can I just recount them and then we'll go through them? Please. It's bonkers that you have a national security advisor who lied to the vice president and lied to the FBI. It's then bonkers, sort of, but not as much, that someone like that was charged. Then the guy pleads. It's then tr- truly bonkers, as we've been discussing, that the government, after a guilty plea and an affirmation of the guilty plea, moves to dismiss its own case when it's already won its case. That's bonkers. Then it's kind of out of, con- not out of control, but then it's kind of unprecedented for the judge, in this case, Judge Emmett Sullivan, not to grant the motion to dismiss right away, but to ask for an amicus brief and to appoint a retired judge to look into the issue. Then it's crazy bonkers, and this we'll talk about what happened in the last week, that the defendants, that the defendant's lawyers, Michael Flynn's lawyers, before waiting for the district judge to make up his mind, goes to the appellate court and seeks what's called a mandamus, and we'll explain what that is, to force the judge to give them what they want. And then for the appeals court, to entertain that and ask basically the judge to show cause, you know, why he shouldn't. And then for the judge, Emmett Sullivan, to hire his own lawyer, Beth Wilkinson. A series yeah. of crazy things happening in this case. I was trying to think what you could call this podcast. It's like it. there's something, it's like a bo- bonkers, I don't know, a bonkers-arama. There's like, it is beyond. We could call it extraordinary. It is. It is. And actually, we're going to get to use extraordinary in a legal sentence in a minute when we talk about the mandamus. Because by definition, a mandamus is an extraordinary remedy. I ticked through a lot of different things. When last we joined you guys, or I guess when you guys joined us, the district court had gone through the trouble of appointing former Judge John Gleason to write a brief for 
the court to take the opposite side of what the government said in the motion to dismiss and to consider the question of whether or not Michael Flynn could be held in contempt. Since then, the next thing that happened is the defense has gone to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, not even waiting for a decision. And Preet, we had a listener question from Gail from Chicago. She's a civil litigator and attorney, and she's fascinated by the Flynn case. And she basically was asking about this exact thing, which is, you know, Flynn makes this filing and asks the appellate court to intervene in hopes of stopping Judge Sullivan from, you know, holding these hearings, having the amicus briefs come in and Judge Gleason be involved. And basically, she wants to understand, like, how does the appellate court have jurisdiction to do this? Like, how do they have the authority? And so it's worth just talking about, you know, there are a couple of decision points here. I mean, one, and you and I have talked a lot about Judge Sullivan. There was an interesting sort of discussion that came out last week, and it was basically saying, you know, Judge Sullivan should have just denied Michael Flynn's motion, right? Basically arguing, instead of doing this whole circus and all these hearings, he basically should have just said no, because under the federal rules of criminal procedure, the judge has a role that's written into those rules, which is to basically make decisions in the public interest. And they note, which is correct, and I think a lot of people may not understand this, but it's important to know, judges can even turn down guilty pleas. So someone can come into court, the prosecutor and the defense lawyer can say, we want this person to plead guilty. And the judge can say no. And there are lots of reasons why the judge can say no. So their argument was Sullivan should have just cut it off and said no. He didn't. As you and I both know, he's created this process. He's allowing folks to write briefs to explain. Can I just interject for one second? Because I, I, I don't know that I buy the argument. And I have, although I don't have sympathy for Michael Flynn in this case, I don't have sympathy for the government's position in this case. I do have sympathy for the general principle and legal rule that a judge has very, very, very limited ability to second guess, and we'll talk about this case in a minute, to second guess the executive branch's decision to prosecute or not prosecute somebody. And it's true that there's a rule and it exists and there's some role uh, and there can be an inquiry, but it might surprise some people. I am very sympathetic to the idea that, you know, maybe given my past, that judges should not be stepping into the shoes of prosecutors and saying, you know what, sorry, you should be prosecuting this person, and I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that you do, even if you have reason to believe that it's no longer in the interest of justice. Now, here, this is one of those examples of a thing where the government does something terrible. But it's terrible. not absolute. It's not absolute. And I, I just want to stop absolute, you there. Because I want to make I, it clear that it's very, very limited. And, and, the, and to the extent people are saying like very sort of casually, oh, yeah, of course, the judge can just deny the motion. That is not a small thing to do. Even no, it is not a small thing to do. And and the judge would have to have a basis or an articulable basis in the public interest to be able to do it. And here, I actually think he would have to make the record. And so this is why I think he gets to the hearing. He needs to basically be able to make the record that something wrong is happening, right? That the government's interest in dismissing it is actually not valid and is based on politics or something else. So I fundamentally think that ultimately the government has the first right to decide what cases are and are not in the public interest. But it is really important to remember the judge is a check on that. And they they the first draft of the, the rules related to the judge's role did not include that judicial check. The second and final draft that the Supreme Court put out did include that. And yeah. So no, it's obviously the rule it's has really to have important. some purpose. The, yes, exactly. But, but on either side, let me just say this: for people who but say it's a, it's very a debatable casually, issue, right? Yeah, in my, people in my on mind. the one hand who say it's very easy and and casual, who say, "Yeah, just deny the, the motion if you don't like it, judge. You can force you know the, the case to go to sentencing." 
I don't love that view. I also don't love the view in the in the other direction, which is the judge has no role at all to play and shouldn't be doing anything and shouldn't be asking any questions because what would be the, the reason for that rule that says you need the court's permission to dismiss a case? But going back to the listener's question, you know, what jurisdiction does the appellate court have? I mean, generally speaking, the circuit court does not have jurisdiction. There's not been a decision yet to appeal from. So some of the lay reporting that you see is getting it wrong. It's not an appeal. They're seeking something that's called a, a writ for mandamus, which is, again, exceedingly rare, extremely uncommon, very infrequently granted, where you're essentially calling on on the power of a circuit court to intervene at some juncture to prevent a district court from doing something that is terrible and bad in the law. My only experience with it, we, we discussed this over the week, was when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office as a young prosecutor, there was a judge in our district who said that he was going to tell the jury about the mandatory minimum sentence in a child pornography case. Generally speaking, the rules are that you cannot tell a jury. Yeah, jurors don't about are sentencing. not supposed to concern themselves with sentencing, just guilt or not guilt. That you know, you have you have two choices. And we sought mandamus. So there's no appeal. We we went to the Second Circuit and said, you need to direct, you need to mandate the district judge to do X or Y. And they did And just to be really clear on that, if a judge instructed the jury the likelihood of that being overturned on appeal, in my view, is 100%, right? Because it's a very long-standing rule, yeah, but, or but let's say 99%. Acquittal, there's an right. If there's an acquittal, there's no appeal. Exactly, which is that's why you why had to go extort- up. That's why we had to go exactly. up. Exactly, right. Pres- I just want people to understand that it's not just something that could be fought out on appeal. But here, you're right. If you know you got an acquittal, you have a problem, and you can't, you can't obviously, you know, the government cannot appeal an acquittal. And so this becomes... A critical issue. The only time I've ever seen mandamus done, and and so people should understand you and I practiced for a long time, and you've seen it once. I was not involved in it, but I saw it happen in New Jersey in the federal prosecution of a lawyer named Paul Berggren, who was ultimately convicted of murder. He he was representing clients. Witnesses were killed. He was prosecuted. He was charged and prosecuted for um, the murder of a number of individuals. And the trial judge, Judge Martini in Newark, basically, I can't remember exactly what he was doing with the evidence, but he made a decision that, that the U.S. Attorney's Office, the government, felt very strongly was the wrong decision and would have completely changed the outcome of their case. And like the situation you just addressed, if there was an acquittal, there could be no appeal. And so they felt so strongly they went to the Third Circuit on it. The Third Circuit reversed the trial judge and the case went back to go to trial. These are really, really rare. And so I've never done one. I've only seen one in my whole career. And so so the other point that I think is worth making here is when you and I are talking about the use of mandamus, we're talking about it in situations where But for this happening, but for the sort of mandamus being brought, there's going to be an outcome where you're not going to get a second bite of the apple. Like, there's a real possibility there's no other chance to litigate an issue. Here, I don't see that. I mean, Michael Flynn has has pled guilty. The judge would be basically holding these hearings, then making a a sentencing decision that could be appealed. Right, exactly. And probably he would get bail pending appeal, too. Right. So I found it really interesting that the that the circuit court basically is entertaining this motion. It may be that they want to just have it sort of briefed, you know, b- both sides are submitting briefs so they have the full arguments from both sides. But it is, it is to me, this is the kind of thing where what I would have expected a circuit court to have done is to basically say, mandamus is an extraordinary remedy. It's used only in emergency circumstances. And here, 
there can be a process. We should let the normal court process play out. There'll be hearings. There'll be and, right. And and look, That's here's the other crazy here. thing. Here's the crazy thing. I I still think what you think, Preet, that the judge was going to extract some pain, but ultimately was going to allow the government. To basically withdraw the case. Now, that's a, there's a separate question as to Flynn and and perjury, but I think the judge ultimately was probably going to go in Flynn's favor. So I think this is yeah, a I, very I think risky it's, move. I think it, as I've been saying, it's maybe not a bad outcome in this case to deny the motion to dismiss, but I think it's a bad result for law enforcement generally. And there are other you can change the facts of the of the case, and you could have you know a rogue judge in other circumstances, basically you know, denying government's motions to dismiss that are actually done in good faith, that, you know, it really is, you know, up to the government to decide these things. Can we talk about something that I've been dying to discuss since I read about the case? Yes, That always. Flynn's lawyers rely on heavily to make their point that, you know, you really can't second guess what the government is doing here. And the reason I want to discuss the case is not just because of the holding, but uh, I giggled like a little boy when I saw the name of the case. It's United States v. Fokker Services. Isn't there a movie, Meet the Fockers? So I looked it up to see. It, so this is United States v. Fokker Services, F-O-K-K-E-R. Uh. Meet the Fockers is different. It's F-O-C-K-E-R. Okay. But I, I, I was anticipating uh. with great delight and childhood idiocy discussing with you, Anne, U.S. v. Fokker Services. You know, Preet, this is a podcast where we've already talked about The Big Lebowski. Now we've talked about Meet the Fockers. It's like movie, uh, it's like it movie trivia night at the legal podcast. All right, so let me be serious for a moment about um, the case. I don't know if I mentioned the name. It's United States v. Fokker Services. <laughs> and it stands for the proposition. It stands for various propositions. The sentence that probably Flynn's lawyers like the most is, or the couple of sentences, is the following. Quote, the Constitution allocates primacy in criminal charging decisions to the executive branch. The executive's charging authority embraces decisions about whether to initiate charges, whom to prosecute, which charges to bring, and whether to dismiss charges once brought. It has long been settled that the judiciary generally lacks authority to second-guess those executive determinations, much less to impose its own charging preferences. So that's a broad statement that is consistent with what we've been talking about here that as a general matter, and in almost all cases, the prosecutors decide when to bring a case, and they also decide when not to bring a case and whether to dismiss a case in the interests of justice. And usually that's done in good faith. The problem here, and what's making it difficult here, is there's a lot to suggest it's not being done in good faith, and it's special treatment for someone who's associated with the president, and career prosecutors have been overruled in a way that kind of stinks to high heaven. But the general principle here that they're relying upon is that you don't second guess the government. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.